Welcome to the PrivCap Podcast, where leading professionals in private equity and institutional real estate share best practices, investment ideas, and everything you need to succeed in the private capital industry. Hello, and welcome to a PrivCap Podcast. My name is David Snow, a partner at PrivCap Media, and today we're joined by Jeff Johnston, Head of Asset Management for Financial Institutions Group at Wells Fargo, Jonathan Piper, a Managing Director at Mizuho Securities, and Albert Tan, a partner at Haynes & Boone. Today, we're going to be learning all about the state of the fund financing market in private capital. This will be a conversation led by Albert Tan, and I will turn things over to Albert right now. I'm Albert Tan, partner at Haynes & Boone. What would be good for us to talk about is how COVID-19 has impacted our fund finance market. So I'll start with you, Jeff. Thanks, Albert. The month of March was probably one of the busiest months I can remember our team having in years. And you know, that was a couple of things kind of coming into play. One, the, the, the first quarter was really healthy from a uh, capital raising standpoint and in the broader fund finance um, you know, arena and pipeline, pipeline was pretty strong. And so a massive magnitude of, of volume. And then it hit everyone um, that this was not going to just be, you know, something that was a, a short-term liquidity or capital squeeze from our perspective in our portfolio. April started to shift and think about what is the credit risk of the transactions that, that we have now and, and where are valuations going to go. There clearly you know, is, a, is a ton of marks that were going to happen and kind of negative impact investors' liquidity positions. And, um, how is that going to translate into performance on, on the subscription facilities? Uh, we had a bit of an uptick in investor delinquency and some minor defaults. It was, it was kind of an interesting roller coaster ride, a couple of bumps and turns and, and twists in the months you know, thereafter. And it, it sort of feels like we're in a little bit of a, a calm and steady state at the moment. John, I, I'd be curious to get your thought. Many of us lived through the 2008-2009 GFC crisis. What are the similarities and what are some of the differences? So I actually believe that this is very, very different from the GFC. And the reason is that during the GFC, the caution was much more profound. And we really saw for a significant amount of time that new funds were really not being raised. Most banks in, in the current uh, COVID environment, they've hunkered back. They're still lending, but they're really focused on their key clients. I do think it's possible that things are going to last this way much longer than, than any of us had expected. You know, what we've seen so far is, is that is, is the marketplace is, is very resilient. People act very responsibly and, and you know, it's, it remains a very, very safe and really overall benefit the, the investors and, and help, them, help them achieve true enhanced returns on, on their capital. Back in the 2008-2009 GFC, there was a real fear since that crisis concentrated within the financial industry. This is really more of a kind of a general consumer retail impact in terms of the overall economy and, and, and whereas the banks in general because of the GFC experience, are much better capitalized this time around compared to the last time. How does this particular crisis impact how we go about conducting our business? I do think the amount of private capital that's out there and available to come in and to capitalize 
you know, provide both debt and equity to these companies that are going to need to restructure in the, the coming years here is something substantially different and, and beneficial. So the, you know, the two plus trillion dollars of dry powder we all you know, been talking about for the last couple of years where the private, private and alternative markets have been using and subscription facilities in place with banks that is going to help and is going to help the recovery and recapitalization of, of corporate America and, and corporations globally. I know that over the last couple of months, you guys have been very busy, not only structuring deals, but also joining new facility. What would your take on how things have progressed for the funds since March? I think the banks, as well as the investors, were concerned that, that there would be kind of panic draws on the line and just, you know, for liquidity, for the sake of liquidity. And then, you know, obviously, if there's tons and tons of capital calls, how many investors are actually going to default and that sort of thing. And what we actually saw was that while borrowings did increase, there was no panic increase. So basically as people needed, as you know, as the sponsors needed additional capital, they would borrow under the line. If, if they had to do a capital call for whatever reason, they made one, but there was no feeling of, I have to do this now or else I might not get my money. Investors, didn't have to, you know, sell assets at the absolute bottom in the market to, to meet their, their capital requirement. You know, everyone was, was acting in the best interest of the fund, the investors and the banks. So that was really impressive. The importance of subscription financing. We always say when we're talking to folks that, uh, you know, the, the, the availability of, of capital within a day or so, as opposed to the, the, the 10-day call period. The credit markets shift very, very quickly. So if at times there's an opportunity for where there's a dislocation, but it only lasts a week or so, or maybe even less. So the sublines actually just really proved how important they were because the sponsors now had abilities, you know, particularly on the debt side to, you know, either purchase their own debt they thought was mispriced. We kind of see the, the, the real, the true benefits in times like these. Jeff, I know you um, are in regular contact with ILPA. Can you share a little bit of what, what was going on in the dialogues? For the last five to seven years, I've been trying to coordinate with, with ILPA and, and help, you know, both on general education and discussion around subscription facilities. I, I think there's always been a lot of, you know, rumors or concerns that have maybe not fully been substantiated. There certainly was, you know, anecdotal whispers or stories around, you know, some of those types of financings where some banks, you know, might have been looking to, to pull back. This market has moved to one that has been a committed structure and committed financing. That, that doesn't just give you know, any bank a, a decision to say, what, I don't want to be in this business and you have to repay me everything and, and we're out. And if anything, having facility availability definitively eased the liquidity pressure on the LPs during that you know, massive downward stress in the market. They were able to have readily available access to the subscription facility to meet that margin call instead of an additional capital call that would have been happening to to the LPs. There were some some negative stories, or at least stories that didn't map up to the data that we have within our database around pacing of capital calls. The subscription facility market was, you know, maybe 100, 125 billion in total um, into the last crisis. So it's it's significantly larger in in size than what the last recession. So reasonable to to say that you know is it going to behave the same way? But at least in the early goes here, it's all you know, 
all pretty positive. And these facilities help managers manage liquidity, put less stress on the LPs, gave people a tool to be opportunistic from an investment standpoint. Having the subscription facility allowed the fund sponsors to have the liquidity and also provided the, the, the investors basically the liquidity cushion of having to fund capital contributions during a time where everyone is trying to figure out how things are going to play out. Changing a little bit of focus, let's talk a little bit about how things have progressed on the lender side. There's been a recalibration of economics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Something like you know, 80% of funds have sublines. The, the result of this large percent is the demand is, is really, really large for subscription lines. And so a little bit of pullout, pullback from just a few banks actually you know, causes you know, quite a bit of, of, of a void. And the result is that, that pricing really you know, increases dramatically, certainly much more than the credit risk would, would otherwise. You know, there's like, the increase in pricing is, is not due to credit risk, but, but really due to just you know, supply demand dynamics. So you know, what we saw is a lot of banks really focusing on their key clients. I saw, you know, tremendous pullback specifically on the European banks. The result is that economics changed quite a bit. Spread widened 50 bips, maybe even larger depending on, you know, the deal and the structure. Certainly the supply demand imbalance is going to be a meaningful component and ultimately what drives where pricing in terms are for, you know, the next six to 12 months. The reality is today, you know, every single client in every industry, in every geography, you know, have have some loan demand or financing needs right now. So the internal competition for capital and for balance sheet is something that's a lot different, you know, today than it than it has been in, in recent years for groups. A lot of the subscription groups that I've spoken with have additional layers of capital committees to, to go through or have you know, additional requirements from uh, return or relationship metrics that they're going to be focused on. Both of you mentioned there's demand for loans across all industries. So there's a fight of how to best utilize the capital that a bank have for, for, the, for the businesses. There's plenty of opportunity for, for lenders that want to step in. And, and there, there are a couple of them that have been opportunistic. And that certainly has helped offset you know, a good bit of, of where other folks have, have been on pause or a little bit more cautious. From a lender's perspective, it's it's always easier to continue doing business with someone you know and like, and, and certainly in a time of stress uh, like this. Jeff, you run the global platform for Wells Fargo in terms of fund finance, and, and John, you being a, a Japanese bank. Can you touch upon a little bit about, you know, what you see in terms of Europe? John, maybe you could chime in a little bit about Asia, because I'd be curious to see how those two regions compare to the U.S. Asia has, you know, most of the mega sponsors, they're actually run out of, you know, either New York or the West Coast. Most of the subscription finance that we actually see out of, of Asia are more like mid-sized funds. Each of those funds does have a subline you know, they're, they're much smaller. A lot of them can be taken down by, you know, one at most two banks. Pricing, well, increased just not to the level that we saw in, in, in the U.S. There isn't the need to do a, you know, a three, four, five, six billion dollar subline. So, you know, just people just have to kind of kind of fight over sort of the, you know, doing a 200, 300, 400 million dollar subline. Our business is heavily slanted to the Americas and, 
and to Europe where we have, you know, real on the ground presence. A couple of things that I think have been the drivers there. I mean, one, it just seems like there's been a little bit more of a slowdown in activity. I didn't quite see the same, you know, pickup from the opportunistic fund side as we did in the in the US. The US market in my mind just snapped wider on pricing and structure much more quickly than what the European market did. Other than sort of the you know, more slowly widening on terms. Um, you know, the the two markets uh, between the U.S. And, and Europe are starting to to converge again. Over the last three months of COVID, we largely, overall, the fund finance market has been incredibly resilient. Now that we are in the second half of 2020, the, at least in the United States, there are still rising number of COVID cases, and prior to COVID. We had $550 billion in the, in the market. There were probably over 70 plus banks around the world that are extremely active in subscription financing. What do you guys see for the second half of 2020 in terms of the syndication market? From a pipeline perspective, we're starting to get to a, a pretty healthy clip now on a, on a forward basis. But you know, even that I think is a, a little bit more skewed to or backloaded to to Q4 versus Q3 from you know some of these multi-million dollar or multi-billion dollar facilities that are going to be out in the market. But you know, if someone is 65% deployed and needing to you know find the last couple of assets before they they raise the new fund, we you know we're probably having subscription conversations about the new fund. But you know that that timeline just continues to to push out a little bit because you know the the sponsor is still trying to figure out when they're going to to be able to to make those last couple of investments. Honestly, I think Q4 is going to be huge, even though we're going to be in a period of probably massive stress uh, from a you know, a, a human and health standpoint. I think there's going to be a handful of factors that are going to cause, you know, companies to need capital and recapitalization is going to happen to where, you know, the private equity players and, and private market players are going to be pretty active. And depending on what happens in the U.S. election, you could, you could yeah. take a view that, you know, 2021 tax situation is going yeah. to be significantly different. Right. That's going to motivate a lot of people to, to transact um, later this year. John, any thoughts on whether or not we'll get back to the 70 plus lenders at its peak? With regard to the, the 70 plus lenders, I think it's going to take quite a bit of time. While pullback happened quite often very quickly, I think you know the, the reverse takes quite a bit of time. But the area that obviously slowed down dramatically is a traditional buyout deal. One of the major sponsors I was talking to him uh, a couple of months ago, his PMs are, are actually creating a shopping list. I, I, lo I love the term shopping list. So they're kind of getting ready, you know, what price, you know, what makes sense. And they're starting to, you know, prepare. We're going to lose a quarter, quarter and a half. I think it's going to take you know, a, a bit of time for, for the funds that are fundraising to actually be able to flip on the new fund and, and, and start investing. You think in the second half that the economics and the tenure of facilities will get recalibrated towards a more favorable terms to the fund sponsored and borrower side, or you think it will still remain on the side of the of the lenders? Most of the lenders in the space remember to keep their discipline. So it sounds like the lenders in terms of how the second half will play out will still have that discipline. Jeff, what about tenure? We're currently seeing a one to two years being offered, or, or you see that also potentially going back up to more of a three to four year 
I hope it doesn't say is short term because it just creates more work for the, <laughs> the banks to constantly have to renew a facility every year. It, it makes more sense that this product be a three or four year product. And, and again, where the, you know, the core lifeblood is new facilities for newly raised funds that have investment periods that are three to five years long. That one, I don't have a strong prediction on what, what's going to happen there. And I think it probably will be a little bit um, institution by institution. Jeff, you're the chair of the Fund Finance Association. Maybe we could use this to give a little plug on of Fund Finance Association, what you're doing and what has transpired over the last three and a half months. Hopefully 2021, we're able to you know, move back up the, the in-person conferences again. Until then, we are going to be increasing, you know, more of a virtual communication and, and delivery of information and hopefully be able to give our constituency, you know, good updates and our sponsors, you know, like, like yourselves, good opportunity to, um, to get in front of, you know, the right audience and to, to talk about what's going and, you know, having similar conversations to, to what we did today. Hopefully we're able to, to reboot the, the FFA university in a virtual classroom format um, mm-hmm. later, later this fall. With that, really appreciate both of your insight in the fund finance space over the last three and a half months and also how we should be looking forward in the second half of 2020. Like what you hear on the PrivCap podcast? Visit PrivCap.com for more thought leadership interviews, articles, reports, webinars, and more.